Good morning, church. I, I, I can't, I got to spoil my sermon because I've been listening to these songs and my heart's overcome with the joy. Listen, we just sang about God being so, so good. We even sang a song about, yo, you're better than nothing. How do we know he's better than nothing? Man, there's an experience in life where we put ourselves out there and we try to experience how good the world is. How do we try to experience how good life is on our own? And what do we find out? It's always lacking, always missing. And for those who've come to Jesus and those who've experienced Jesus, man, they truly do lift their hands and they say, there's nothing, there's nothing better than you because of my experience here on earth where there's something wrong and something missing. And then we sing, you are good good. How do we know that God's good? Because the experience of his goodness to those who believe, to every single person on the planet, even when we think he's against us, God is good. He is good. He is so, so good. And I hope you know that. Hey, maybe you're here today. You're new. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're joining in, or maybe you're here and someone invited you and you've stumbled across these Christians here. I want you to know we love you and we're glad that you're tuning in and that you're here. And I hope that you see hope today in what you hear, what we're going to do when we open up the word and we ask the question and we answer it. How did we get here? Why is life the way it is? Is there hope? What am I to do with all the pain and the hardship that I experience in life? I hope you see the hope. So let's pray together, church, and ask God to help us as we dive into his word. Our Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness, your mercy and your grace that's on every single one of us every single day. God, you demonstrated your love for us. When we were enemies with you, Christ died for us. You didn't wait for us to become worthy. You didn't wait for us to straighten up or act up or get everything right. You came by your initiation of love and you sent your only son and you died in our place so we could be redeemed and restored and find where true hope and true life and true satisfaction is. But God, our hearts and our eyes are blinded to that unless you open that. So I pray for every single one of us here, every single person listening, that you'd be patient with us. You'd open the eyes of our hearts to see the glories and the riches and the beauty and the love and the patience and the grace and the mercy and the awesomeness and the goodness that is in you. God, thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Necessary consequences. That's what we've been talking about. Necessary consequences. And I think that has a heavy ring to it because there's none of us that when I say consequence that it's like, ooh, goosebumps. Not at all, ever. There's never a time when we're like, ooh, give me some of them consequences. Give me some of that hardship. Give me some of that pain. Never. We run from that. We spend our life trying to avoid those things. But we've used the word necessary because we're implying something. We're implying that there is something good about it. There's something, there's something necessary. There's something that consequences or something that, that pain and hardship actually does that's beneficial. Let me give you an example. When I was a kid, I learned how necessary consequences were when I was experimenting with the trampoline that my parents had given us. And I wanted to experience the, 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 the heightened greatest sense of joy I could on a trampoline, which meant always trying to go higher 
jump higher, fall higher, whatever it may be. And so it was a plethora of things that me and my brothers came up with. One of the dumbest ideas where we learned necessary consequences was this idea of let's move this trampoline right up next to this pine tree. Let me tell you something about the pine trees I grew up around. They, like the limbs start at like two feet up and they don't stop until the end. So imagine what it looked like trying to push this trampoline up against the pine tree. We proceeded to stand on the trampoline and climb up through the tree on the limbs. I mean, it's thick as all get out till, you know, we're probably 10 or 12, maybe, maybe 15 feet at the highest through it. And, and what we had to do was look through the trees. I remember I had to look through the limbs to find an opening. Now, so far, you guys are smart enough. Kids, I know you're smart enough. You're like, what is he doing? Find an opening. And then we had to do like a Navy SEAL dive to avoid every limb coming down to land on the trampoline. Now, you tell me the consequence of what just happened there. As I hit the trampoline and physics that God created working properly send me flying back up. And as my head goes through the first set of limbs, my shoulders connect with them. Like a cartoon as my head flew up and my shoulders stayed still. Came back down wondering, hey, maybe I'm taller. As you can see, that never happened. But it felt like it did. Maybe I grew an inch. I don't know. Necessary consequences. We all have those moments in life where we do something and you're like, I learned from that. I learned from that. We come to Genesis chapter three. What do we find? We find consequences being given. Consequences to the serpent. We learned last week, consequences to the woman. Pain and childbearing. Pain and child rearing. We're seeing pain and hardship being introduced to life as a result of choices that were made by our first parents. And these things affect us all. We're going to look at now the the continuation of the curse being given, the consequences that are now given to the man, to Adam. So in Genesis chapter three, starting in verse 17, I'm going to read. Genesis 3, 17, and to Adam, he said, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust, you shall return. Man, can I, can I just stop here and say, like, if we isolate this, which we, you know, when, you, when we go through a sermon and we're teaching, you have to isolate sections of scripture because you can't preach it all. But we must include the full knowledge of what we have here now, especially after Jesus having the full counsel of God's word, the full hope. What do we know about this as we read something that sounds super depressing? Oh man. Here's what we know. We know the story doesn't end here. That's what we're going to see today. The story does not end here. What we are reading in Genesis 3 isn't just a reminder of what happened thousands of years ago with our first parents. It is a testimony of what is. These things are indicative meaning that they just are. This is the way life is now. We know that. We look back and we see how it started and we say, yep, this is true. 
And these things give us an answer to the question, why is life the way it is? Or in other words, how did we get here? You don't have to understand the Bible in order to make that conclusion. So you don't have to be here if you're listening. You don't have to agree on what the Bible says or even be a Christian to come to the conclusion that what? Life is hard. Life is painful. Think about it. Life is hard. Why not life just is? After all, we've only known the way life currently is. Our experience of a hard life is is normal. It's indicative. That's just life. But yet we conclude life is hard. What is the neighborhood experience that gives us such an understanding? Well, everybody on the person can agree with this answer. Why is the hardship of life so universally agreed upon? I believe we have the answer. And I think we all would agree that we are so easily unified on the answer because of pain. An experience of pain. What do you see in the curse? You see God is introducing pain into childbearing, something that was supposed to be so wonderful, joyful experience, bringing life into the world. Now is said to be one of the greatest and most hardest, most uh, 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 miserable pains on the planet. And that's when the ladies are supposed to say, amen. We have beautiful things like uh, an epidural these days, things that can kind of help, you know, but you imagine just in the, the uh, exposure to the elements, just being out uh, in the in the earth amongst the elements and having to give a child, I think every single one of us that ladies that would put ourselves in that position would be like, yeah, that doesn't sound fun at all. Pain. We can all be unified and come together and agree on this thing. A deep rooted, ever spreading, always lingering, forever present reality, abiding alongside every experience of life. The potential alone is enough to stop us in our tracks, right? Make us think rethink, well up with anxiety, run, forget, embrace, give up. A Christmas bag full of responses, take your pick. Pain does it all. A consequence is what we're seeing, pain. A cause and effect, a result of something, simply the natural destination of a journey taken long ago. Yet it feels as if we just stepped off the bus, looking around, looking around for the fantasy vista. We were anticipating the whole ride only to find a desert full of bones and beasts feeding on the corpses of all who have gone before us. The fruit looks so good. We chased the passion. Our first mom and dad ate with great expectation of something so satisfying that they would defy the very God who made them to experience it. But as they stepped off the bus with exciting anticipation only to tragically see the reality over what they had hoped for. Pain, misery, and death. Let me ask, is life really better without God? Can we actually do this alone? Can we live, be born and live and do it alone? Is the experience fantastic? Is there an alternative, alternative life that we can have besides the one the Bible, the God who made us says? Is there an alternative? Can we actually find one that will satisfy like we are hoping and wanting it to? Can true joy, satisfaction, and purpose be found in this world doing what we want? I think we all think so because we all try and are pulled to that every single day whether we believe in the Bible or not. 
We may not all agree on the answers to those questions if we were to take a poll, but we almost certainly share the same experience. Every day we wake up and jump on the Greyhound to somewhere hoping and believing we will find what we're looking for, dreaming of, a place where the pain is no more, where the pleasure is unceasing, where the joy and satisfaction match the longing within only to step into an arid, dry desert permeating every stop along the way. But but it'll be better when we get, it'll be better when I have Once I can find this, I will be happy. I'm sure this time life will be different on this stop along the way. I'm sure I've heard of it. Around the corner, an oasis of palm trees and water found somewhere on this earth. Let's keep looking. Just an unlivable desert pushing us always toward the reality we try so hard to distract ourselves from every single day. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. I'm not where I need to be or who I need to be. So the question I ask all of us, whether you're listening or here, the question is this. When will you pause from the distractions and actually listen to the story your pain and your hardship is trying to tell you? Will you listen to the story that consequences are telling us. Some of us are so busy questioning God, why are you doing this to me? That we actually don't take the time to find the answer to that question. I think it's a great question. Though I think the question should be asked in a more intuitive and less accusative way. Do you know what I mean? We say, why are you doing this to me? It's almost rhetorical. But that's a good question. And I think we all want the answer to, but let me, let me pose a different way to ask it if you see it up on the screen here. The question is, God, why are you letting me experience pain and hardship in life, right? Because that is our experience. And I think it's a natural question to say, okay, we see God, we see perfect God, we see beauty, we see love, we see God is love, we see God is great, we see he is perfect, there's no sin in him, yet we experience pain and hardship. I think a natural question mark is, God, why are you letting me experience that? Well, we're gonna answer the question and I'm gonna answer it right now. I believe one of the greatest purposes of consequence and pain is life is so that we will be saved is there is an experience of life. It's one of the many things along the story of life that God has given us that is trying to point our eyes to the thing that will save us. The very thing that will save us. I had someone recently ask me, why didn't God, with tears in their eyes, destroy Satan in the garden? The moment we messed up in sin, why didn't he just fix it all then? Could I pose to you, he did immediately fix it and began fixing it right there in the garden, especially as we see God clothing Adam and Eve, promising them a snake crusher that would come and putting them out of the garden away from the tree of life that we'll see next week so they can experience and come to a conclusion on their own and really know that, oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing Why would someone sing like that? Well, it's as they're propelled into an arid, dry desert and they finally, in the midst of the desert, as they're dying, get the cool, embracing drink of water for the first time and they realize this is it. Consequences will lead us to that. Here's what I want to show you today. I want to show you five ways the curse is trying to turn your heart to God. Five ways consequences and pain and misery that seem so 
so pointless. It's so purposeful. It's so great. It's so wonderful in how it's leading you to the gospel and the good news. And if you let it and you listen to the story every single day of pain, you won't let it take you down into the pit of darkness of embitterment and discontentment, but you let it turn your eyes back to God. Always. Genesis three seventeen it says this. And to Adam, he said, he's talking to the man. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Let's think about what happened. Eve is the one who was deceived. We know that. And Eve is the one who took and she gave to her husband. And as a result of this verse, we know there was probably, probably some type of exchange. There was probably some type of a words given from Eve to Adam, hey, eat, this will be great. Whatever it may be, there was a voice. There was, there was a command that came from Eve. There was some type of suggestion or desire that Eve wanted her husband to share in. And he listened to her voice. He listened to what she said over what? Over what God said. You've listened to the voice of your wife and you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat. Adam was the one who was placed in the garden. Think about this. He was the one placed in the garden to give the responsibility to tend it and protect it. And in Genesis chapter two, Adam alone was given the command not to eat or to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So by the time his wife came along, he would have been the one passing down the command to his wife, a direct command from God to Adam. And now Adam was responsible to make sure that didn't happen. And he tells his wife of it as well. So when she comes around to the tree, you see her kind of get it wrong a little bit. We can't even touch of it lest we die. So a little, little game of telephone. She's got it wrong just a little bit, but she's deceived. She eats. And then she's the one who convinces her husband to eat. Why this is so bad is because Adam was the one who had the direct command from God. He knew better. He knew better. She was at least deceived, tricked. He blatantly disobeyed. This is why The curse of the land falls on him and is his responsibility. Life is the way it is because of the man. How is this trying to turn our hearts to God? First way that this is trying to turn our hearts to God is this. By showing you that all voices contrary to God's are deadly. All voices contrary to God's are deadly. This this passage can be misunderstood represented, I think, because it's not just a passage you go to and say, don't listen to the voice of your wife. No, there's many times we should be listening to the voice of our wife, men, husbands. This is more about listening to any other voice that is contrary to God's. Because God says here, I commanded you this. There was an outside voice that commanded you contrary. You should have known what was best in the moment. And you chose the one that led to a different path. Where are you at in life? Think about the many voices that come your way. Let's, let's get real for a second. Think about the many voices that come our way that are trying to convince us what we should believe about anything. All the different uh, uh, opinions we face in life, all the different scenarios, constantly every day being faced with what's right, what's wrong, what should I do, what shouldn't I do, and all the voices that are trying to impact you on what you should or shouldn't do, say, think. Every single day, voices. And just like in the garden, the voices that are contrary to God have a goal of trying to get you to look at this and do a couple things with it. Or God didn't really mean that when he said that. Or are you kidding me? Yeah, right. Eh, I just don't care. 
Every single day, it is a battle for the mind, a battle for truth, a battle, a voice that is plaguing each and every one of us constantly. Wherever it is, it's unique to us on always, always the enemy and our own flesh trying to listen and follow the voices that are contrary to God. Why? Because we lack faith. Faith in what? Faith that God's good. He's good and there's nothing better than him and his ways are best. And what he created in the beginning is best and marriage is great. And male and female is wonderful and beautiful. And the roles that God has established are beautiful. And everything doing life God's way is wonderful and beautiful. But what do we find? What crossroads do we come to all the time because of the voices we entertain? We always come to the road like, do I I really want to embrace what God says? Like, man, I'm so inundated with the triggers of society that that just feels so wrong. Constantly, constantly fighting. Am I going to believe this or believe another voice? So God brings consequences. We look out and we see that there is a curse and there's a consequence. They're always to remind us the result of listening to the voices outside of God. Now, remember, all of us would agree life is hard. There's something wrong with it. Universally, we'd all admit the world's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Man, there's a lot of evil in the world. Man, this, 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 and this. We know something's wrong. All of that is a result of consequences of listening to a voice contrary to God's. What are the voices you're tempted to listen to now in your own personal life? Let me tell you this. There's no voice, there's no command, there's no way better than God's. God's is always gonna lead you to life. It's always gonna lead you to life and peace and joy. Look what he says next at the end of 17. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Could you imagine that? Adam sitting here, having the God who created him, getting to taste of and to see and to fellowship and walk in Eden with God and having God look at him and say, cursed is the ground because of you as he begins to see the very earth in which Adam was formed from change and become hard and weary. Cursed, a constant reminder to all of us, not just to men, but all of us because of the man, we're all affected by it is that the ground is cursed. We're going to see exactly how he curses it here in just a second, but here's what I want us to to focus in on this little place. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. But if you look back before, God is giving them opportunities to take ownership, is he not? Why have you done this? Why have you done this? Why have you done this? And what do they keep doing? Blame shifting, blame shifting. Not me, not me. There was a reason why I did it, and it's a better reason other than I just, I've sinned. And God is very clear, this is because of you. Consequences turn our hearts to God. And in this particular moment, it's reminding us and showing us that our choices have consequences. Actions have consequences. This is something that we must embrace and must be restored, especially for our children, that real choices have real consequences. And in this case, The consequence of eating of the fruit that God said not to eat was a cursed earth, a cursing that has been permeated throughout all of time as we know it, reaching us all the way on the other side of the world. Here we are experiencing the curse. Thanks, Adam. But it's reminding us, showing us, 
turning our hearts to God, reminding us that our actions, the very things that we think, say, and do have legitimate consequences. And if we pay attention to life, when we jump through the pine trees and we are repelled back into the limbs themselves and we feel the pain, all of that is constantly reminding us that choices have consequences. And we have great experience, do we not? Great experience of the consequences in life. Consequence isn't always bad. It can be a good thing. It's neutral but we are able then to know, okay, that was a bad choice because that consequence is uh, very painful. And that's reminding me that that choice was bad. That choice is not good. That choice is not gonna lead to comfort and joy and life. You see, whether, whether we're a believer or a Christian or not, we all can embrace the pursuit of happiness, right? The pursuit of joy, the pursuit of peace and comfort in life, but we're deceived. We're deceived thinking that our choices that, that we constantly give ourselves to will somehow lead to those experiences. You come to the Bible, though, and the Bible says that those are fruits in a, in a clean conscience that only comes from the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you and leading you as you walk with the Spirit. Then you will bear and feel the experience of true joy and peace and love and kindness and gentleness and self-control and all of those consequences. But the works of the flesh are evident, Galatians 5 says, and it leads us to feeling a sense of impending doom and guiltiness at the end of the day and throughout the day. And then you come to the spirit and the way God acts and he works. And he says, you know what? Why don't you make the choice of not being selfish and lay your life down for others and see if you feel guilty at the end of the day for that. See if you feel a sense of condemnation over yourself at that. No, but I just want to serve myself because I truly believe that doing what I want will actually bring me true joy and satisfaction. And so I give into it. I give into it over and over and over before it's too late. And now my spouse is done with me and had enough. And now we're on the rocks. And now they're convinced I'll never change because the only experience they've ever seen for me is me choosing myself constantly. And now I'm having this consequence, wondering how I got here. Well, are you listening to the story that pain is trying to tell you? Life, the way we want, will never bring life and joy and peace Those things we all want, but try to find, have our cake and eat it. They never satisfy. Look what he says in the following rest of 17 into verse 18. God says, in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Eat of what? Eat from the ground, from the earth, from the world. He says in verse 18, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. Here it is, pain being introduced into a necessity of life. Isn't it interesting that God brings and introduces pain into the two life-giving and life-sustaining things on planet earth? Procreation. If you don't have babies, you don't bring life into the world, we eventually die off. And so the life-giving act of birth has now had pain introduced in it. And now you have this dichotomy of something that's so painful, but yet so enjoyful, so, so painful and so grueling as you see, you see your wife struggle for nine months and, and be uncomfortable and, and getting sick constantly. And then up to the point of feeling the labor pains and it's so excruciating. And then there's this moment of joy. And as Jesus says, you forget the birth pains, right? right? There's this beautiful life-giving thing that, that has had pain introduced into it. Then now come to food. We don't eat food, we die. We need it every single day. And there's pleasure with food, is there not? There's enjoyment. Everything we do seems to be revolving around food, fellowship and fun. Like everything seems to kind of revolve around food. And God has done this purposefully. God has created food. 
He's done it all purposefully, but it's life-giving. Isn't it interesting that food that we need, the survival thing has now had pain introduced to it. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And it's interesting that the, it's interesting that the thing that they wanted, the thing that they thought would give them that, that, that extra level of experience of joy and satisfaction in life, the fruit on the tree that they saw what was pleasing to the eyes and was good for food and was desired to be make, make one wise, they took of it and they ate it. And now the eating has been cursed in life. What is the point of this? What, what can we learn from this? What is Adam learning from this that we can all learn of it as well? And here's what I want to show us is another thing that the curse is trying to turn our hearts to God in, how it's trying to speak to us by showing that the promise of pleasure from sin is a lie. A reminder, a constant showing that as I'm toiling and eating in pain of the fruit from the ground all the days of my life, a constant reminder that the thing that I thought would bring me that extra bit of pleasure propelled me from life itself out of Eden into a dry, arid desert when now I get to live life the way I want to. And my experience is like, wow, this is not as good as the crafty serpent said it would be. And now through consequences, we have a constant reminder to never get lost in that reverberating, constant revolving carousel of, ooh, there will be pleasure in this thing that I desire and really want. This will make me happy. And every experience, every consequence of falling to the pit of misery and guilt and shame and feeling the pain is a constant gracious reminder that there is no pleasure in that. That will not satisfy you. The Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. What does that mean? That means, yes, initially you might feel something, but that's going to wane, is it not? Isn't that the experience of life, is it not? Come on, think about it. Sin's radical infection causes us to get bored all the time, right? Every, we constantly have to keep things going, right? Netflix and our entertainment is a constant reminder of that. It's not good enough to have one season. We need two. We need three. It's not good enough to have one DVD on the shelf. It just gets packed and packed and packed. Like watch a movie over and over and over. You desire to want to experience it like the very first time you watched it, but it's all, you already know the story. You've seen it all. You've come, become familiar with it and it gets old, right? Right. That pl- promise of pleasure wanes goes away, never satisfies. And if we're not careful, we're going to spend our whole life chasing, keeping ourselves distracted because we're always able to always kind of replace it with that temporary, you know, it's kind of like ammunition in a gun. We're always have ammunition and it's enough to distract us and to keep us from realizing that it, it, that can't last forever. It's going to go away. These things do not satisfy Life will never be the thing that plugs the hole of who am I and who do I need to be and why am I here? Why do I exist? The promise of pleasure from sin is a lie. And the consequences that God has given, even in the pain that we experience, is a gracious reminder so we never get lost and stay in that. Do you see that? Maybe you're up against something right now. Maybe as even I'm speaking, you're thinking of that thing that's pulling you away. That decision that's maybe hard to make right now, but it's so alluring. Yeah, you know, it may, it may hurt your family. You know, maybe you're able to keep it hidden. Maybe, maybe you think you have it under control, but you're going to keep giving yourself to that or you're, you're, you're facing it and you're going to give yourself to that and you're going to make that decision. What's going to stop you? 
one, the power of God in your life, but he's also giving you help. He's giving you a reminder of the consequences we face all the time to show like that is not going to satisfy. That's the deception. That's what happened in the garden. Eve should have reminded him right in the middle. Like, okay, you want me to touch that? Okay, you want me to eat that? No, because I know that living life the way God wants me to live is far better, far better. It's gonna bring me far more joy and satisfaction. It's gonna lead me to life. Not that, but what do we do? We get deceived by it and we think somehow it'll, it'll satisfy the promise of pleasure from sin is a lie. And if we pay attention to our pain, God will use that to turn our hearts to him. Look what he says here next in verse 19. He says to Adam, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. It's a hard one, isn't it? Because what do we experience in life? Hard work. Seems like, it seems like the earth and our efforts, everything's against us. And that's true, it is. I just had, just had some friends come over to my house last night to help me chip away some of the ice dams that were causing a leak in my, in my living room. It's like a constant reminder that everything's pressing in on us, right? Everything's rotting away, wasting away. The elements itself seem like they're like against me and trying to encroach in on my life as a constant reminder, something's wrong. Right? And then it comes to sustenance and sustaining and, and getting the very food that we need for survival, right? God says to Adam, by sweat of your face, you shall eat of it. The implication was in the, in the Garden of Eden, working would have been such an easy thing. The ground would have served Adam. The ground would have always co- cooperated. It would have been a, a wonderful, joyous effort of work that would have been always fulfilling and always producing a fruit. But then they leave Garden of Eden, the consequences of the curse fall in, and now the experience is, 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 is ground that's against us. Producing thorns and thistles, producing briars, things that are a constant reminder of pain that something's wrong, it's against us. The ground no longer serves us. The ground is reminding us of something. And now hard work is introduced. Now the very thing that we're, we, we need for life is going to be something we have to work hard for. And I think we don't today experience the pain of it as much as maybe they would have back then because we've, we've been able to, to work and, and, and get to the point where we were able to experience grocery stores and we, we always have an abundance and we just go grab something. But if we were to take the time, maybe take a year off and all of us just go out in the woods or find an area of land and just try to live off of that, think about it. Live off of that, man, we'd be like, I can't do it. We probably, 98% of us die. Then we'd experience, wow, this almost feels unlivable. You watch a show like Alone. I love that show because they send people out completely alone. You've got to survive in the environment on planet Earth. And what do you find? By the sweat of their face, they live. What is this reminding us though? There's a deeper spiritual, I think, lesson here going on that we must not miss. How is this consequence trying to turn our hearts to God? By this, by showing you the vanity of living in your own strength. Think about this. By sweat of your own efforts, it's gonna take hard, hard work for you to get the thing that's gonna keep you alive, but it's gonna be ultimately in vain because what's gonna be your end? You're gonna return to the ground. It's just gonna stave off the inevitable. You're going to die. Do you know what is a, a greater spiritual implication of this? God's like saying, man, living on your own in your own strength, trying to live is impossible. You'll never be able to live by your own strength. 
That's a constant reminder that we need something outside of ourselves. It's a constant reminder to turn our hearts to God and say, God, we need you. I need you. Constantly in earth, hardship and, and lack of rain and lack of the things that you need to produce from the ground the things that we would need to survive. What does that do to the human heart when you experience drought and you know you're up against death? Potentially, if you do not get the things that you need, it causes you to turn your heart to God and put your hands in his hands and say, I can't do it. You need to because I can't take control. God, bring me what I need or our eyes are on you and we're so dependent on you. You see what that does? But if we just focus on, man, sweat of the face, hardship, pain, this is horrible. God, what are you doing to us? God, why are you letting us experience this? Because I love you and I want your hearts turned to me because you've turned your hearts from me. And living how you want to live is going to always lead to death. And I love you so much. I want to rescue from that. But I also am not just going to make you serve me. I want you to see how much better life is with me. And you'll see it through getting the experience, getting what you want. It's a gracious thing. And then finally this, he says this at the rest of 19, till you return to the ground for out of it, you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. What a humbling thing. Do you know what's happening here? God is telling to Adam, he's reversing the process of life. It's reversed. God made the earth and from the dust he formed man and now man is to pro- procreate and, and fill and multiply the earth. And now the multiplication is stopping. It's constantly being hindered by death. And you see when someone dies, they, their body returns to dust. Life has been reversed. God is showing Adam and he's showing us that the wages of sin is death. Truly, the wages of sin is death. And even if you don't call yourself a Christian, you don't necessarily follow the Bible, you know that death is coming. It's inevitable. And you know death is not something that is a joyful thing. It's not something that we accept and say, this is good, this is all right. It leaves all of us in a place of grief and weeping and moaning. Because this is the true experience of living life without God. This is what this is. And the curse is turning our hearts back to God. Consequences are saving us if we let them, if we open our minds and our hearts to the story that it's saying. I would encourage you to go after this and read the book of Ecclesiastes. As you see Solomon getting to give himself, God allowing Solomon to put himself in the situation where he would give himself to every pleasure of life. Solomon says, I held my hand back from nothing. Land, houses, women, materials, pleasures. What's the experience of, a, of an older person who is now reflecting on his life and who had the ability to have everything he wanted? You tell me, you read the book of Ecclesiastes and you see what uh, Solomon found out. Vanity, vanity. It's pointless. It's worthless. None of this lasts. None of it lasts. I'm going to work all my life for all these things and create this great kingdom from my own hands and I'm just going to die and it's going to go to someone else. It's a great evil. All of this is vanity. And if you're not careful, you'll read Ecclesiastes and become depressed. That's not the point of it. The point of it is to show you that there is no true joy and satisfaction apart from God trying to live life on your own, getting what you want all the time. And God gives us And he shows us and he lets us to see in and to see the vanity of life, the vanity of life without God. 
This is why at the end of Ecclesiastes, he says, this is man's all. This is what matters. To love God and keep his commandments. This is what matters at the end of it all. Henry Morris said this, and so God placed the curse on man and on his whole environment, thus forcing him to recognize the seriousness of his sin as well as his helplessness to save himself and his dominion from eventual destruction. The necessity of laboring merely to keep alive would go far toward inhibiting still further rebellion and would force him to recognize that Satan's tempting processes had never had been nothing but lies. Such a condition would encourage him to a state of repentance toward God and a desire for God to provide deliverance from the evil state upon which he had fallen. You see, there's purpose in the curse. God's not just being a God. He's like, you've done this and now you're in trouble. Yeah, there you go. It's no, I love you and I can see something you don't and I already see the path you're going down and if I leave you in it, you'll go to utter destruction but I love you even when you don't love me and I will pursue you and I will give anything in your life to help you see that pain if necessary. And any pain someone even brings to you, I will turn it around to work for your good. Haven't we seen God do that? Not only throughout scripture, but also in our own life. You see, when you're a believer and you trust this and you follow God's way, even the hardship and the pain of life has purpose. You can even smile, lift your face to God and say, thank you. But when you're all alone and you have nothing and you have no idea who you are and you're eking your way through life, knowing deep down that there's no satisfaction and that the pleasure's waning, knowing and feeling like you're utterly alone, you're in despair, there's nothing there to help you, you know and you look and you find nothing and you try to distract yourself from that pit of darkness that's always there. I'm telling you, Jesus is alive and he's real and God loves you and he's trying to turn your heart to him. Don't listen to the enemy who's still trying to keep you in that pit. Lift your eyes up to the sun peeking through the well and climb up and reach the hand that's there and let it pull you out and show you a life you never thought or even imagined you could have. And if he gave you everything that you wanted, you still wouldn't experience what you'd experience if you gave your heart to God and you let him in, you let him love you, you let him save you and forgive you and promise you eternal life and a new Eden that he's going to make. You know that the new Eden he's going to make is going to be far better than the old one. We look back and say, man, we wish we could go there. But this new one that's coming is full of people who have experienced true love and who have turned their hearts to God in a true fashion have experienced true forgiveness. And God's going to make all things new, which means he's going to make all things better. And he's going to give those who believe in him a true hope that will never fade away. And no matter whatever pain you experience, even when death reaches you, the scripture says beautiful, beautiful is the death of the saints in the eyes of the Lord. That's why you can go to a funeral of someone who was saved and other Christians. And we don't grieve like those who have no hope. It's a celebration almost. We're just sad that they've left and gone before us, but we will join them. Will we not? Oh, this is the message the world needs to hear. If you're listening and you're not a believer, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've heard lies your whole life. It's all lies to keep you in misery. Hear the love of God, even in the hardship of life. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but what does Romans 6.23 say, church? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
Look what Paul says. I'm going to read it. I want you to just listen. Paul says in Romans 5, as he reflects on Adam and he reflects on the curse and he reflects on death, he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, Christ abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying, just like you were affected by Adam, you and I, whether we like it or not, we are surely affected by his decision. And we know death is promised to us all. He said, just as you're sure about, you can be even more sure that if you place your faith in Jesus, that his grace reaches you. And that free gift is extended to you and is yours. And eternal life is waiting for you. The reversal of the curse is done away with. And you will experience the life you are looking for, but you're not going to find it now in the world. That's why hope does not disappoint. It's time to turn our eyes to the hope. It's time to be honest and real with ourselves. We'll never find it here on planet Earth. Not until God comes back and makes it new. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, which is what Jesus dying on the cross in place of our sins, taking our punishment and our judgment, filling the full wrath and curse placed upon him, though he did nothing wrong, and then rising from the dead on the third day to show the power and the reality that he is who he said he was. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin is, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me ask you this. Will you let, will you let pain tell you the story that you need to hear? Are you going to let the hardship and the pain of life tell you the right story and lead you to God? Are you going to let the consequences of what happened long ago tell you and teach you and turn your hearts to God as they need to and they need to help you? I'm going to leave you with one thing. I want you to imagine. You know what? I want to show it to you. I need three volunteers. I didn't plan this. I just need three volunteers. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Let's... Yes, you too, and I need one more, one more. How about let's do, let's do, I'm gonna do an adult to go with these two. Look at me if you want to have me choose you. Thank you. Come right up here, you guys come right up on stage. Liz, if you could stand right here in the middle, I want you to hold your arms out. I want you to grab one of her arms and I want you to grab her other arm, right? There you go. Now we're gonna kind of have a tug of war. I mean, you wanna grab it, right? And it's like, you, you, you want Liz and you want Liz. And so you guys are gonna kind of tug of war. So go ahead, and, go ahead and tug of war. Yeah, there you go. 
All right, so Liz, where are you going to go, right? Where are you going to, you don't know. You're not going anywhere. Okay, so stay right there, but stay there in that position. Here's where we all are right here. Right in the middle, we're living life. And it's like the curse has encroached upon us, but heaven is still here. And on this life, we're getting little tastes of what is to come, foreshadows. The pain and misery coming from the curse, the results of sin is a foreshadow. Pain and misery and death is a foreshadow of what awaits all of those who turn away from God and go their own way. They will one day when they die, they will be pulled. Can you let go? They will be pulled. Pull, I want you to pull. Let go, let go into everlasting separation from God, which will be more fully completely 100% more of the painful experiences we experience on life. And God's given us a little taste. Hey, do you want more of that? Do you want more of it? Is that what you want? Because that's what life is like apart from me. Eternal separation away from me is destruction and pain and misery. Now let's come back here to the middle. I want you to grab her arm again. But God's also given us experiences in life, right? He still kept this world here. He still kept birth. And he's given us things like bread, right? Even though we have to work and sweat over to try to get bread, Jesus comes along and says, I am the bread of heaven. My yoke and my, my, uh, my, yoke and my burden is light. I will give rest to all of those who are weary and heavy laden and burdened. Jesus comes in and he says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger again. The water, whoever drinks of me will never thirst again. Jesus shows up and he says, I've given you little, little moments of life and the pleasure you get from food and the life sustenance you get from food and the joy you get from new birth. I'm telling you, whoever believes in me will be born again. And he gives these little, little, little foreshadows and taste of life and what is to come in his kingdom. And he says, do you want more of that? Do you want more of that? Well, you look to me, you look to me. And when you die, all those who die in my name, let go, will be pulled into everlasting life and they will have no more pain no more misery, no more tears, no more crying, and we'll live forever in eternal bliss in a life with God where he's gonna make all things new. And God right now is, is kind of like in a Venn diagram, letting us experience a little bit of both, saying, what do you want? What do you want? And guess what? What you want can only be found in trusting me. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Let's give them a round of applause. You listening to the story pain is trying to tell you. God wants to pull you to eternal life. All those who trust in him will be saved. And if you are saved, you trust that and you look to that hope that's coming to you because it's real and it's sure and it's coming and one day all this pain will be done away with and you will be pulled into the very thing that is waiting for you. But listen, if you continue to live the rest of your life rejecting this message that keeps coming to your way somehow in a way that you don't know, somehow you don't know, it just keeps coming to you, it keeps pressing upon your heart, you keep rejecting it, you keep ignoring it, the more of the hell you experience on earth will give way and pull you into 100% eternal hell for all of eternity and absolute separation from God and darkness and isolation and weeping and gnashing of teeth. We experience that here on earth in a little way. If you want more of it, you turn your ears and your hearts away from the one who gave his life for you. I would urge you to turn your hearts to him and believe and receive the salvation and join the family. And join in singing, there's nothing better than you, God. There's nothing better than you. Let's pray. Father, you're good. You're kind to us. We make such wrong conclusions all the time. We listen to the voice of the enemy that you're not kind or you're doing something to us that doesn't have any purpose. 
and we taste the hardship of life and we conclude wrongly who's at fault. Father, there's so much we need help with. I pray that you'd be gracious and kind to us all. And if there's someone here that doesn't know you, someone listening who doesn't know you by your spirit, you would draw them and you would save them and you would let them see the salvation that's in Jesus through faith alone. You bring them into the family. God, thank you for your patience. And I even say thank you for the consequences. Though hard, you let us experience them. They turn our hearts to you. So let them do just that. God, take our hearts and save us. In Jesus' name, amen. In our final moments together, we have the opportunity to declare the goodness of God and what he's done. And I pray that the testimony of your voice singing the words to these songs would encourage those around you to allow themselves to be pulled into that glorious direction of trusting in Jesus, believing that he's turning things around for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So can we stand up together? Sing this song going out as a testimony of God's faithfulness. You can sing with us. Standing on this mountain top, looking just how far we've come, knowing that for every step you were with us. Kneeling on this battleground, seeing just how much you've done, knowing every victory was your power in us. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say. Let's sing it today. Just how much you
for ashes You turn shame into glory This is why You're the only one who can You turn grace into gardens You turn bones into armies You turn seas into highways You're the